Hello, and welcome to episode four of The Gamer's Advocate. My name is Adam Bankhurst, and I'm here to talk about all the incredible news in the video game world that's happened since, well, episode three. <laughs> um, this week we're doing something a little different. We're gonna be breaking up these topics for YouTube purposes. So if you want to just get to a certain topic or a certain subject, you'll be able to do that. So you'll still get the full episodes, they'll be uploaded to YouTube and on podcast services. But if you wanna just focus on one topic or you don't have enough time to listen to all the other ones, or in certain cases, you may not be ready to listen to a certain topic, then we wanna give you guys the options. So for example, this week, we have three topics. The first one is breaking down the Destiny 2 reveal, the gameplay reveal. The second topic is about Xbox Game Pass. And the last topic is where it's really gonna be different because we're gonna be doing a Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild spoiler cast. I've been wanting to do this for so long and it's gonna be sensitive because not everybody has been able to play this. So I wanted to cut this one out specifically. So if you wanna get right to that, or if you don't wanna to listen to it, you'll have the chance to either eject from the podcast focus in on a YouTube video, or do whatever you need to. We're, we're all about giving options here. So I just wanted to, to bring that up before I started. Um, and also, some like non-gaming things that have been going on in the last week. I spent a lot of time up in Cleveland, where I was born. Spent some time with family. My mom had a wonderful show. She's a singer. My grandfather was turning 85 years old. And just got to spend a lot of family time. So, yeah, not too much has been going on in the past week. So we're just going to jump right into the topics. Destiny 2. We finally have gameplay of the newest entry from Bungie. It was a great showing, it really was, and I think got a lot of people very excited for the sequel to one of the biggest games of the last few years, where people have put in thousands and thousands of hours into this incredible game. And Destiny 2 is looking to fix a lot of the issues that players had with Destiny, because if you remember, Destiny launched and it was pretty, I mean, I don't, I don't know if bare bones is the right word, but it had a lot of issues with it. The story was very basic, very simple, and especially coming from the studio that brought us Halo, that was a bit of a shock. There was issues with leveling up, and it was confusing once you got to the end game. and they fixed a lot of these things with the Taken King, but there's still things that really need to be fixed. And one of the biggest changes in Destiny 2 is to their raid system. Now, they didn't talk about the raids per se, but they mentioned that only 50% of players, which seems even, I guess, high, were able to see this raid content, which some considered is some of the best content, not even in Destiny, but in video games. I was unfortunately one of the 50% that did not get to see the raids. I've put in probably maybe 50 to 60 hours of the original Destiny and I've loved my time and I've played all the expansions and done all that, but I haven't had this big group of friends to take down the raids. And I know I could do these third-party looking for group sites and things, but I haven't got to experience the magic that is a Destiny raid that I've heard so much about. In Destiny 2, they're trying to help people like me. They're adding clan support into the game where you can build a clan, build out your roster, have a custom banner. There's progression and there's rewards from reaching certain tiers that everybody in the clan will get. But what's I think most exciting is guided games because Destiny never had matchmaking. So you couldn't just jump into one of these raids and just be randomly selected with all these people. You had to do a lot of extra legwork to experience some of the best content that Destiny had to offer. With guided games, you as a solo player can be grouped with an existing clan that's going on these raids and is looking for another player. So for example, if Fred from this random clan 
couldn't make it tonight, you can be that fill-in spot and it will automatically be set in through Destiny itself. Now this will maybe allow you to enter the clan or meet some new friends or people to play with and I'm sure there's going to be some issues with trolls and people not working out and some serious raid members who may never want to use it because Destiny's all about strategy and if you have some random person that could really ruin your plans or Leroy Jenkins if you catch my drift. <laughs> it's weird because they kept saying raid. They weren't saying raids. I've got to believe there's going to be more raids, hopefully free raids in additions or even in expansions, but it's just weird because they kept saying raid, raid, raid. And now besides the raid, the most exciting part for me is the story because I am a huge story guy and I love playing games for the story and the world building and the lore and Destiny was seriously lacking in that. As I mentioned previously, some of the expansions, especially the Taken King, helped with that and added some nice backstory to the world and to the universe. But if you wanted to learn more about the world, you had to go off the game and either use a mobile device or a computer to read these grimoire cards that you unlocked. And it was just a very cumbersome system. And while they did say that they're getting rid of the grimoire cards and the lore will be built into the world, they really focused on showing what the story is going to be about and how it's going to be a very personal story. So basically when you start the game, the last city the city on Earth that's protected by the Traveler, that giant planetoid or ball that you see in all the marketing materials and everything, is being attacked. It, and it's being attacked by the Cabal, and more specifically, the Red Legion. Now this Red Legion is led by a man, or a Cabalian, if that's how you call it, named Dominus Gall. And the community manager, Luke Smith, compared him to a Hans Gruber from Die Hard. And that he is so sure that the Cabal should have gotten the Traveler's Light. That these Guardians are not worthy of the protection. And it's his right, it's his destiny, excuse the pun, that the, he needs the Traveler. So he comes in with his huge force and his armada and this giant device that is capturing the Traveler. And they just destroy the last city. They destroy your vaults. They destroy your history. There's characters that, that you've come to know and love in the original Destiny, like Commander Zavala and Cade Six, and leave you guys on the defensive. And you're pushed out and are made to find a new home. And I think the main reason they did this is, as they said previously to this gameplay reveal, that you are going to have a fresh start in Destiny 2. You're not going to be able to import all your character and all your loot that you've been gathering over the past few years. They're, they did say they will reward these Guardians who have completed feats of, of greatness. They're, I'm sure there'll be customizable options and maybe some weapons or blueprints or some ways to reward and commend those Guardians who put in the time to bring peace to the universe. But this start of the of the game is focused on saying you are out on your own you're fresh you're, everything you've you've loved and you've known is gone and now it's up to you to finish the fight now with that they did mention the new planets and, and areas that you are going to be exploring and those include nessus and titan and io and earth they even said that you're going to be going to this place called the european dead zone which is was apparently cut from the original destiny and supposed to be a pretty fantastic incredible area so it'll be exciting to see something that was planned originally but they couldn't handle it and now destiny 2 gets to take the mantle now playing destiny 2 you want there to be you want it to feel different you want it to bring something new to the table and they started talking about that and and these three new super abilities that your classes of Warlock and Titan and Hunters can gain. Now the coolest one, in my opinion, is the Warlock's Dawnblade. And this is this flaming sword that you take out and just wreak havoc on all your enemies, shooting fire and just raining from above. 
The Titan, for who was my character, my main in the original Destiny, you get to become a Sentinel and you get to use shields and throw shields and just be a defensive, offensive powerhouse. And for the Hunter, you get to be a, a mystical, staff-wielding arc striker. With these characters, you're going to be doing a lot of the same things in Destiny, but hopefully with a little spin. They talked about one of the first strikes, which is the Inverted Spire. From a lot of the hands-on previews that I've been reading and seeing, they're a lot more raid-like, with a lot more epic moments and, and story beats and incredible things to experience to feel like you're in a raid-like level no matter what you're doing. And one of the most exciting things about Destiny 2 is the ability to launch into any activity without getting into orbit. That was one of the most annoying parts in Destiny 1, that if you wanted to do a new mission, you had to leave wherever you were, go back into orbit, then choose where you wanted to go, then go all the way back down. But now, they're cutting out the middleman, which I think is going to be really, really convenient for a lot of people. Lastly, for single player, they talked about these things called the Lost Sectors, which are dungeon-like experiences with, filled with incredible treasure that you have to beat a boss to unlock. Since they're Lost Sectors, I would hopefully assume they're following the motif and the theme of story, 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 and you'll be finding these mysterious, maybe ancient, long-forgotten places and coming out with some pretty awesome loot. Now in multiplayer, they did say that all game modes will be 4v4, and they introduced one of the new game modes that's called Countdown. And it's basically an attack, defend, fighting for dominant struggle between the offense and the defense, which is a first in its kind for Destiny. They also mentioned that when you're in battle, the HUD's going to be a little different. You'll be able to see when your opponents are have a full super ability meter, or if they have power ammo, and just giving you as a player more power and more information to plan your next attack. And that's a lot of what they revealed in this first blowout of gameplay for Destiny 2. It releases on September 2nd for, oh yeah, of course, PC and PS4 and Xbox One, and they announced that Battle.net is going to be the sole distributor of this game. There's not going to be dedicated servers, but for you PC gamers who have always wanted to play Destiny, now is your chance. Now as for me, I'm very excited for Destiny 2 to see where it takes the franchise. I still have this nagging feeling that it looks and feels more like a Destiny 1.5 than a Destiny 2. The gunplay looks the same, the powers look similar, you're doing the same type of missions. Sure, maybe they're grander and have more epic experiences and story, but this feels like maybe it could have been an expansion. I'm sure they have a lot of secrets that they're keeping very close to their chest, but I was hoping for something epic or something new that would get me super excited. Like in the original Destiny, I always wished that you can have some space travel or just flying around in your ship between missions and talking with your team. I mean, I just love exploring space and being able to see this incredible universe, and I think it would have been a cool way to get around, even though obviously fast travel would be necessary. So we'll see what happens when Destiny 2 launches, on, like I said, on September 2nd. So what did you think of the Destiny 2 reveal? Are you excited? Are you a lapsed Destiny fan or someone who's never gotten into it and now maybe you're interested in taking a look? What are you still hoping to see out of this game to make you jump in and join the fight and become a Guardian when this game launches? Let me know and let's continue this conversation and hopefully join each other in battle on September 2nd. And that's topic number one. Now, on to topic two. Xbox Game Pass. This service launched today, even though it was announced uh, maybe a few weeks or months ago, and it's a Netflix-like service that for $9.99 gives you access on your Xbox One to over 100 Xbox One and Xbox 360 backwards compatible games. Right now it's only available for those with Xbox Live Gold, but on June 1st it'll be available for anyone with an Xbox Live account, free or otherwise. Now the whole crux of 
Game Pass is to give you the freedom and the ability to play these games whenever you want. And unlike PlayStation Now's service, which we'll get into in a little bit, you're allowed to download these games, so you're not streaming them like in PlayStation Now. So you're not dealing with lag, or if your internet's not working so great one night, you'll just be able to jump in and play these games, which I think is a great, great addition. They're launching with some pretty, pretty big titles like Halo 5 Guardians, and NBA 2K16, and Saints Row 4, and Bioshock Infinite, and there seems to be a good mix of AAA titles and indie titles, and they said that each month it's going to rotate out. There's going to be a few coming in, a few coming out, etc., etc., but they're probably going to stay around that 100 game mark. Now, with PlayStation Now, they offer 450, over 450 titles, but the price is $19.99, and it's all streaming. And I've tried PlayStation Now, and there it is, it works pretty well. I mean, there's for super multiplayer competitive games and stuff, you can notice a little bit of lag, but if your internet is doing pretty well, it works very well and it looks great. And they're, they're very interesting services, and especially with PlayStation Now, you're having it available even if you don't have a PS4 or PS3. Playing it on a TV without a game system is a pretty cool thing to bring in more gamers. But the Xbox One Game Pass is another initiative that Microsoft is doing to try and give power to the gamers. And not only does this Game Pass give you access to all these titles, if you like a game, you can purchase it for 20% off, which isn't a huge discount, but it's, a, it's those little things that add up to make a very good system and a good subscription service. Now, personally, I don't know if this service is necessarily for gamers like me, because I've played a lot of the new games and I like to be on the forefront of everything that's coming out. And I don't, I don't go back as much as I would have liked to because of being married and, and time and work and commitments. It's hard for me to kind of go back and do that. This service for people who may have not played a lot of these games or are new to the system gives you access to over 100 titles for 10 bucks a month. And you can download as many as you like and try things that you've missed. And I think this is great for those gamers who are looking for something new and something fresh and a way to get into the Xbox environment. Now there is a 14 day trial, which I'm definitely going to do just to see how the system works and if the downloads are fast and if there's any other weird quirks. It's nice to be able to test out the system and see what it's like and what games. Maybe there's a game where I just forgot about and I'm like, oh my god, I would love to play this. And hey, maybe Microsoft will get 10 bucks out of me. You never know. Now we've been talking a lot about Microsoft and Sony with their subscription services, but the one of the big three that doesn't have that yet is our dear friend Nintendo. With the Nintendo Switch, the Virtual Console still has not launched. I think they're holding it back because they're coming out with a big plan and a big schedule to really knock this out of the park, at least I hope. Because we all know with Nintendo, they could just be scrambling and will trickle these games out like they have before. But I think if they came out with a Virtual Console subscription service where you paid 10, 20 bucks a month to have access to all these old games, and maybe they rotate them in, maybe there's only 10 or 20 a month or something, I think that would still be enough to get people excited. And they mentioned once the online service comes aboard for the Switch, the official one, you can still play online now, there's going to be a game that you get every month that you subscribe to Nintendo's online service, and there's going to be new features like online multiplayer for older games, and, and new features that will celebrate these titles. I just love the idea of them having some kind of exclusive club where you can join and you can be a part of a family. Either way, I hope at E3 the Virtual Console is announced, and hopefully released, because I cannot wait to play Super Mario World and Link to the Past and Earthbound or Super Mario Sunshine or GameCube games that would look incredible on that screen and being able to take them anywhere is just 
Oh, I cannot wait. So while a subscription service would be nice, the main moral of the story is that I just want Virtual Console. <laughs> but to wrap it up, Xbox Game Pass is now available for those of you with an Xbox One and an Xbox Live Gold account. So go try it out. It's free. There's no obligations for 14 days. And you'll be able to try out 100 titles, which have some pretty heavy hitters in there, and being able to be a part of the conversation. So are you going to jump into Xbox Game Pass? Is it made for you? Let me know. And either way, I hope it works out. And that's topic number two. Oh man, topic number three. I've been very excited to do this one, but also scared because I know I could talk about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for hours and hours on end. Before I start, I must look you in the eye and tell you if you have not completed The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, I repeat, if you have not completed The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and aren't afraid to hear things that you may have not experienced, turn this off right now. Pause it, don't delete it, and come back when you're ready because we're gonna spoil and talk about this incredible, incredible experience from the Legend of Zelda franchise. So I wanna start off this spoiler cast with saying that this game, Breath of the Wild, is 100% one of my top games of all time. I don't know where it ranks on that list right now, or if it surpasses Ocarina of Time, which has been my, fav my second favorite game of all time up until this point. There's things that I will discuss and kind of go into why I picking one or the other, but I want to see how time treats this game. And I know there's a few things in here that I'll never forget, but maybe in a month or two, I want to revisit this topic and see how I still feel about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild before I'm ready to kind of declare where it, is, it has fallen on my top gaming list of all time. But without further ado, I want to talk about how I just love the freedom that it offers. When you start the game, there's no huge tutorial, there's no anything. You just wake up, you don't know where you are, what's happening, you find the Sheikah Slate, and you're forced to go out into this world. And once you leave that cave, the world is yours, and that's what's incredible. And from the first moment when you're finding weapons that break, you don't know where you're going and where you're really supposed to be, except for these vague hints, you really feel that you're on a journey. And one of my favorite parts of Breath of the Wild is while there are towers, they reveal the map, but they don't put points of interest. So you have to find these and you have to use stamps to mark where you've been. So you're making your own map. You are this explorer exploring this land for the first time. And you feel that and that makes you so much more engaged in the world and in the environment instead of just playing a game of connect the dots. By learning this world, I could tell you from going from Death Mountain all the way to going down to Hatano Village and then where Eventide Village is and following the coast all the way to Gerudo Town. There's these landmarks and the way this world is built that makes you learn it and makes you love it. And that, my friends, oh man, ties into my favorite, my favorite part about Breath of the Wild and potentially one of my favorite moments in video games ever. And that is the memories. There are 18 of these, which some of them you do find by completing certain main story missions, but you get a list of 12 pictures. In your Sheikah Slate, they're just 12 pictures. There's no text, there's no description. They're just images of places around Hyrule, and it's up to you to find them. As Link, you've lost your memory. You don't know what's going on, you don't remember what's happened. These are the only clues of your past. And when you find one of these places, a wonderful musical cue happens, and you get a little glimpse into what happened 100 years before when you were with Princess Zelda and the Guardians and trying to save Hyrule. And these are what really gets you to learn more about the history of the world, and the characters that have inhabited it and who are no longer here. And it was great seeing Princess Zelda, who has not found her way. 
she's supposed to be this incredible, powerful princess and being able to use this magic to seal Calamity Ganon, but she can't find her way and she's struggling. While you as Link are so composed and you have the Master Sword, the sword that seals away darkness, and she envies you and is jealous. And it's a story of her coming to her own and becoming the incredible character that she is. And you see interweaving with the Guardians and with meeting with her father, the King, and culminating in her finding her place and being able to defend and stand up for what's right. That culminates in the giant battle, which sends you to your slumber of 100 years. And while the story is great and I enjoyed the cutscenes and hearing voiceovers for the first time, it was the journey about finding these memories that was the best. If you watched episode two of The Gamer's Advocate, you'll know that I talked about my brother, Jordan. We found these memories together. We spent hours, hours upon hours, sometimes not finding anything, but sometimes stumbling upon one of these sacred locations. We would look at these memories. One would have Hyrule Castle in the distance and we would say, what angle is this castle at? Oh look, the tower is on this side, so we need to come to this side of the castle and roam around. Oh, there's this statue here. Where have we seen that before? Oh, this is clearly in the desert. There's all these little, little cues that you know because you've lived them. You wouldn't be able to find these any other way. I mean, there is this man named Picango who draws paintings, and I think he can direct you in the way, but we didn't use any help. We used our knowledge of the game and the incredible game design to find these memories. And once you find all 12 memories, there's one final one. And this takes you to a point where the last battle happened. Like I said, before Link was put into a slumber and where Zelda finds her power. And Jordan and I both instantly knew where this place was, but not exactly. And we sprinted there and found this area. And we were riding along on our horses and saying, oh my God, I think I know where it is. I think I see it. And Jordan found it. Within three seconds, I found it, even before he could tell me where it was. And we experienced the final memory, the culmination of our journey together. And it was unlike any gaming experience I've ever had. It was so much fun to find these areas that you found because of your knowledge of the game, not because of a game telling you where in the general vicinity it is. And it was so rewarding and something I will never, ever forget. Now, jumping from memories, I kind of want to talk about one of my favorite side quests of this game. If you go to Hatano Village, there's a man named Bolson, and you can purchase a home from him and then have them renovate this house. And you renovate it a few times, you have to spend a lot of rupees to find it. And as you renovate it, you get, you get shield plaques and sword plaques and bow plaques on your wall that you can put your favorite weapons or ones that maybe you don't want to use or break since weapons break very easily. And once you beat a divine beast, the quest giver from that specific area gives you a weapon that the guardians used to use. And I put those weapons in the house and it was so cool just walking in and seeing these weapons that were so epic and so wonderful and knowing that they won't break and that they were safe in my wonderful home. The best part about this quest is once you're finished, someone with Bolson who helps build the house, his name is Hudson, you'll start to notice a trend, gets sent off to Akala and wants to go kind of find his own way and build a new town or something that you don't really know exactly what it is. So when you go visit him, you find that he wants to build this place called Terrytown. And what Terrytown is, is just this place built on this island in, that's surrounded by this canyon where there's guardians nearby. And he wants you to help. You start off by alternating between bringing him a bunch of wood so he can build houses. And then the, the crux of it is finding these other people or Gorans or Zora or Rito. But the key is, is that they have, their name has to end with son, you know, Hudson. 
Bolson. You have to. They, they, there's a theme going on here, and they want to do that. So you have to go out into the world and find these people who specialize in tailoring or weapon crafting or in mining, and you invite them to Terrytown to make this town even better. And as you complete each part of this quest, the town gets a little bigger. Shops start being added. The music in the town, which is some of my favorite, adds different layers and new instruments as it gets bigger. And it all culminates where Hudson gets married to one of the Gerudo that, women that you've found. And once you complete Terrytown and you're done with all the missions, you get some diamonds and you get the, the ability to buy all these items. But there's also this man who sells you full sets of armor, like the climbing gear, rubber armor, and once you find the Hylian shield, you can buy that if it breaks. So doing this side quest is not only awesome seeing a town develop, but it has great benefits for your game. And Terrytown is just, oh, I cannot recommend it enough. It was such a fun quest to do, and I just loved every moment of it. Now we can't talk about Legend of Zelda without talking about the Master Sword and the Hylian Shield. And those are for sure in the game. And the journey to find them was a pretty cool one. Because as you do these divine beasts and you talk to all these people, you keep hearing about this sword that banishes darkness, that seals the evil away. And obviously, if you're familiar with the franchise, you know what they're talking about. But you don't know where this, this is, what the quest entails, or anything of the sort. If you look on the map, once you unlock a certain area, you do see that the Lost Woods are there, which, once again, if you have prior knowledge of Zelda, it gives you a pretty good indication where this Master Sword is. And my journey to the Master Sword was made even better because of Amiibo. While I do understand it's a double-edged sword, because by using certain Amiibo you can unlock the Ocarina of Time gear for your Link, or Epona that's locked only behind Amiibo, or these a Bigeron sword, or Wind Waker gear, and while it's awesome, it is locked away if you don't have the ability to get Amiibo. There's no other way to unlock it. But that aside, because that's another topic for another day, I unlocked the Ocarina of Time garb because, like I said, it's one of my favorite games of all time, and I did my Master Sword quest while wearing the Tunic of Time, and the Cap of Time, and the Pants of Time, and leggings of time, excuse me, and I went through the Lost Woods and got lost a pretty decent amount of time and found where the Master Sword was hidden in Korok Forest and protected by the Deku Tree. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. And as for the Hylian Shield, that was in Hyrule Castle, which we'll get to a little bit later. But finding that after defeating a giant boss and having the Master Sword and the Garb of Time and the Hylian Shield was just, oh, just so epic and so amazing. And I just loved, loved all of it. Now there are a lot of other secrets to find and a lot of other side quests. And one of my favorite ones also, even though I probably did it a little too late in the game, so it wasn't as scary or dire as I feel like some people would have if they did it earlier on, is Eventide Island. And for those unfamiliar, this is the island where once you get to it, it's a shrine, and you lose everything. You have no armor, no bows, no weapons, anything. You are just Link in his underwear, and you have to survive by basically starting over. It was such a cool experience once you're so powerful kind of being brought back to the bare basics, and it was a cool experience to kind of get knocked on your feet a little bit. While the Eventide mission itself was very cool, the vistas and just standing on the beach, looking out into the ocean, just took my breath away. It really did. It was so beautiful and so peaceful and just made me fall even more in love with this game because it provides these moments of pure beauty amid the chaos 
that surrounds you at pretty much all times. It is a gorgeous game, not just on Eventide Island, but when you're riding a Pona or a horse through this beautiful grassy field and the music swells and goes to incredible places, or even when it starts raining and storming and you're, you're sprinting through and trying to protect yourself from lightning, there's moments in this game that just, they, they take your breath away. They really do. Now, the last few things that I want to kind of discuss are more story-related and main quest things, and those are the Guardians and the Divine Beasts and the culmination and the ending. And we'll start with the Guardians and the Divine Beasts because they kind of go hand in hand. We start off with Varuta and Mipha, and she is clearly in love with Link. She was the first Divine Beast quest and Guardian that I met, and her story was so touching and poignant because when you find part of the mission is getting this Zora armor, which allows you to swim up waterfalls, which is a very cool experience, you find out that she built this armor for you because it was a tradition in Zora history where the princess and the daughter of the king builds this armor to fit her one true love, and that fit you. And this helped convince some more skeptic Zoras that you were in fact worthy of this mission. After I finished Varuta, I went to Rito Village and I met Rivali and we did Va Meadow and that was another incredible experience where you're flying up into the sky and shooting bomb arrows to unlock your way into Va Meadow and Rivali is a very smug bird if I must say and while I like his swagger and his confidence he I feel like he's the one who who maybe would have benefited from some humble pie and after that, we went to Gerudo Desert and met Urbosa, or the spirit of Urbosa, and Va Naboris. Urbosa, I think, is my favorite guardian because she's such a strong female character, and you could, but you could tell that she truly cared about Zelda and the plight and the quest that you guys were on, and I just liked the way that she carried herself. I thought it was just a very, very well-made, cool character. And last but not least, we have Daru. My favorite part was the beginning of Varudanya, when you get in and it's just completely dark except for these lit pillars and these beautiful colors that you see. And it was such a beautiful yet dangerous scene. And all of these kind of culminated with Hyrule Castle and the fight with Ganon. Once you freed these divine beasts and brought them back under your control, they all came together to weaken Ganon. And once we get, I mean, we'll skip ahead a little bit, but when they shoot their lasers of justice or whatever you want to call them, they make your battle with Ganon a lot easier and bringing him down to more than ha almost half his health. But Hyrule Castle, the, up to that, was such a cool experience. When you really dig into it, you find and learn a lot about the history of the world. You can find Princess Zelda's study or the King's study. You can go into the library and into the, the Great Hall and see the remnants of what once was and what is not anymore because the castle is so destroyed. Go down to the soldiers area or ride some minecarts or just learn about Hyrule Castle and this place that has been in your vision for the entire game and finally getting to it and having the music come in and that classic Zelda theme just raging with terror was so, so great. And there were so many guardians and turrets, flying guardians, and you had to be on your lookout. And even though... I had, at that time, finished every shrine, all 120, had three stamina wheels and almost all the hearts. I still had a tough time and, and had to be on my guard at all times. So even though I felt powerful at this place, there was really no safe area. 
And there are little secrets you could find. Like there's a stone talus, if you go on the minecart area, that once you defeat them, creates this updraft so you can easily get to another section of the castle. It was just, it's just such a well-made area that, oh man, I did not want to leave and finish the game because I knew once I did, even though the game is not really over, it's, it's over, which was pretty sad. But the final battle with Ganon was pretty, pretty awesome. I mean, he became, he took the form of this crazy spider creature and you had to use either Bosa's Fury or different types. And you had to use kind of the classic batting back or shield parrying of his attacks to take him down. And then once you thought you defeated him, you get transported outside and he is his pig form Ganon. And you have to ride and shoot these light arrows, like I said, very similar to Ocarina of Time, to finally banish him once and for all. And once you did do that, Hyrule was saved. And this is where it got, I mean, a little weird. Because when it's over, Zelda, you guys reunite and Hyrule is saved. And then she asks you a simple question that's similar to, do you remember me? Which I could understand if I didn't find any of the memories would make sense. But I found all the memories, so clearly I, I knew. So it was just kind of a weird, abrupt ending. But if you did find all the memories, you get this after memory where they talk, where Zelda and Link are walking, and Zelda's talking about it's time to go to Zora's domain and rebuild Hyrule and take our, our country or our land back. And really, Zelda wants to become the powerful female character that she's, she always knew she could be but she's been stuck protecting Hyrule. And so hopefully this, the DLC that's coming out in the summer or in the fall will be able to kind of continue these stories because I would love to see Zelda in the current world because we, the only time we ever saw her in this game was in the past and her learning her abilities. But now she is a powerful character that's not to be reckoned with. And I think it would be great to see what happens. And while I, and while I did love the ending and the story, I was hoping for maybe a little more or maybe learning more of Ganon's motives. I mean, he didn't really, he didn't speak. He was just so consumed by the darkness and maybe seeing a little more of what happened after Hyrule was saved. But the experience and the journey of getting there was unlike anything I could have ever imagined. I mean, we've been talking for so long now and I didn't even get to mention one of these shrine quests where it was completely pitch black and you had to use fire to find your way. And the only way to get out of this was to defeat a Hinox, these giant trolls who had a orb on his a necklace on his chest that you had to defeat, barely seeing, and only and you can take these guys down by shooting them in the eyes, and only his eye was glowing, and you had to get a perfect shot, and it was such a cool, unique experience. Or the dragons, like the one you found on Mount, Mount Lanairu that, that's being possessed and being destroyed by Ganon and trying to save him, and just walking along and all of a sudden hearing this beautiful music start playing and knowing that dragons are in the future and looking in the horizon and seeing one flying by is such a serene beautiful experience what i didn't talk about if you find there's certain places where you can play a version of golf or a version of bowling or the powers that you get like Urbosa's fury and rivali's gale who which changed the game once you get rivali's gale and you're able to create this updraft and explore and jump in places you can never get to before it opens up the game like none other there are just so many experiences that I just loved in this game. And I probably haven't found all of them. I mean, I finished the game, and once you do that, you get a certain percentage of what you've completed. And I'm at about 41%. And I've played 95 hours. 
Now, granted, there are 900 Korok seeds, which you could find, which help expand your inventory and such. And I'm at about 230, so I'm sure that takes up a lot of it. But there are many more side quests that I haven't even done yet. I hear you can find this giant horse that may have been Ganon's at one point, or there's one that may have been Zelda. There's all these different side quests of finding the history and filling out this world. And before we wrap up and I talk about some things that maybe I wish would have been a little different in Breath of the Wild, I did want to talk about the freedom and just the power this game gives you as a player. Now, there are 120 shrines, and while some of them are repetitive with tests of strength and battle and guardians, a lot of them have you solving these puzzles. And the great part is that there's so many different solutions, and there's solutions that maybe the developers didn't even intend. I mean, I've heard the story of there's this, there are some motion control areas where you have to roll and get a ball into a certain area, but people have found out that if you can flip it upside down, there's a flat surface on the area, and you could just ignore the maze and get the ball and roll it right to the end. You see these stories of there's some electrical currents where you have to take these orbs to connect electricity and people have been using their metal weapons because they conduct electricity and solving the puzzles. I mean, I've had so many of these where you have to light flames. There is a, a solution in the dungeon, but I had a fire arrow, so I just went and I solved the, the mission or use stasis to launch a ball to a place maybe it wasn't supposed to go at first, you can bypass a lot of these puzzles and it doesn't feel cheap. It feels that you're solving and you're finding out new ways. There's just so much power and incredibleness in this game. There are things that I wish that I do miss about the old Zelda games. I do miss the temples. While the Divine Beasts were cool, there's it's still, in my opinion, doesn't really beat these temples that are tailored to this item and this big moment of finding this new item that will open up so much of the world. You find most of your powers at the beginning of the game in Breath of the Wild, and some of that is lost, and I did miss some of it. But these are all minor complaints, because this game is a 10 out of 10 in my book, and one of the best games I have ever played. Like I said, I can go on for... Uh, much longer, but I think this is a good ending point in that these were the main things that stuck out to me in The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. It's a game that I will be thinking about and will remember probably as long as I live. The power of being able to take this full Zelda experience anywhere I go when I travel, playing side by side with my brother, playing, putting the big moments on the television, grinding out these shrines in bed is also made this game incredible. And sharing it, like I said, with Jordan also took it to another level. And that's what's special about these moments in gaming. It's it's not necessarily what's in the game, but how you experience them. And everything just kind of fit into place in my life for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And that's what makes it one of my greatest gaming experiences of all time. So what did you think of Breath of the Wild? Were you as in love with it as I was? Did you have other problems with it? Are there moments that I haven't seen or that I didn't mention here? Let me know below. Talk, start a conversation. Let's, let's have this be a continuing dialogue of our love of this series and continuing to find more secrets that this has to offer. And I can't wait to come back in a few months and talk about the DLC and see how it fits in into the larger saga of Breath of the Wild. And there you have it. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, if you want to join in with the Gamers Advocate and with myself, Adam, I would love if you sent an email to adam at thegamersadvocate.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me at Adam Bankhurst or follow the Gamers Advocate at Gamers Advocate. 
like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, review us on iTunes, and become a part of the Gamers Advocate family. E3 is coming up in only a few weeks, and yes, I will be there, and there will be a ton of coverage. But there's going to be a lot of news breaking, so I'm excited for what these next few weeks are going to bring. We know on Friday we're going to be getting our first real look at Far Cry 5. I can't wait to discuss that and talk about it. I truly thank you for joining us, and I hope you have a great day and or night. Thank you.